for those wonderful words that we just sang that speak of God's goodness. It was good to be at the Shepherds Conference this week, a number of us, and to just experience the goodness and the faithfulness of God in many, many faces and friends of, of mine. But I am eager and I'm always excited to come back from that, to be with the, the family of God here, to look at God's Word together, and to, this morning to look at His goodness. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, you may remember an interchange. It, it didn't make it into the, the movies, but it was, it's a memorable occasion where the, the children who are traveling to this land of, of Narnia hear about Aslan, and Lucy asks, because as they hear this name, there's just something weighty about it. There's something that brings this feeling of like spring or like good news in them as they hear this name, and they're asking, who is this Aslan? And they're trying to explain to these children, he's the, he's the, the lion, he's the, the ruler, he hasn't been here in these parts, he's the son of the great emperor beyond the sea, and, and Lucy, the little one of the children, is feeling a bit nervous about meeting a lion, and they tell her, well, of, of course, dearie, no one can stand before him without their, nears, their knees knocking, or they would be just silly, but she, she asks, well, is, is he quite safe? And they say, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I'm here to tell you today, God is not safe, but he is good. He is the king. We need to fear this God, but he is a, a good God. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, is not safe, but he is good. He is the king he is not a tame lion. And when Romans talks about God's goodness, it says, Behold God's goodness and severity. Behold God's goodness and severity, Romans eleven twenty two. 22. You, you cannot domesticate this God. In fact, my, one of my books on the attributes of God is, is called The Undomesticated Attributes of God. Deuteronomy says, fear the Lord for he is good. We need to balance those truths together. And even in this series, we're, we're going to see in, in the context of the other attributes, but also in the context of life, we're going to see God's goodness in the severity, the severe things of life as we fear him, as we revere him. Pastor Corey taught on God's jealousy and God's holiness. God's holiness is a consuming fire. He's not safe in that sense, but for his people, we're going to see today, he is good. He is good as well. And so we've looked in the book of Romans at his wrath, his righteousness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his glory, his grace. And then last week, we were basking in the love of God in Romans 5 and 8, as our brother brought that to us. We're going to continue in Romans 8 today, if you would turn there looking at God's goodness, His sovereign goodness in all things. We, we've looked at that famous verse in Romans, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. That's the end of Romans 11. But look at Romans 8, verse 28. We'll be zooming into this today. We know, and we know, Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. That's God's goodness.
good purpose. That's his sovereign goodness, his purpose, his calling. We'll talk about that. And that includes his sovereign election and direction of all things. He's working them together for our good and also for his glory. All things from him, through him, and to him, to him be the glory. He is good. He is the king, and he is the king who is actually ruling and is overruling all things for his purposes. He is good. I've heard R.C. Sproul say his grandma used to do this prayer before dinner. Maybe you've heard it. God is great. God is good. And we, what? Thank you for this food. He says he supposed it was supposed to rhyme, and when his grandma said it, it actually did rhyme because of her accent. I don't know where she was from, but, but in, in our country, especially in the old days, people often talked about the good Lord. Or the Bible might be referred to as the good book. That was just common in our culture. And even to this day, we say God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And that's true all the time and in all things. But there's, there's some things we need to think about more deeply, especially in, in a world of evil. And so here's what we're going to look at here looking at four questions of this text, and this will be our outline. Who is this promise for? What does good mean? If all things work together for good, what does that mean? And and why do they work together for good? We're going to see God is ultimately at work, that's why. But how should God's goodness impact us? And so let's start with the context. Who is this promise for? Look at verse 28. It starts with the word and meaning it's, it's continuing, it's connected to the context before. Look back at verse 15. This was read last week, but just look at it again. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him. And so suffering is part of all things. All things working for good doesn't exclude. It includes suffering if we're truly part of His family. So come disaster, scorn, and pain. With God's favor, loss can be gain. The song says, I have called you, Abba, Father. I have set my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather, but all must work for good to me. We know this, Paul says, verse 28, and we know. Christians know this, that we are God's children who suffer but cry out to their Father. This is something we, we know. Even if we don't know how all these things work together, this is something we instinctively know and we are adopted into his family that he's working for our good, but sometimes we don't feel that. And, and notice the text doesn't say, and we feel. We don't always feel this. We, can't, we need to not judge the Lord by feeble sense. We just sang about that. We need to trust him, working his sovereign will. But this is something we know by faith, not based on feelings. But also, this is not a promise for unbelievers, that all things are going to go well. And we know, notice, that for those who love God, all things 
work together for good. Those who love, love God is another way to say those who are in his family, those who love him as a child loves a father. Jesus said the father loves to give good gifts to his children. How do you know if you love someone? Well, just think about people in your life you love. Maybe it's your kids, your grandkids. You, you love to spend time with them. You love to talk with them. You, you think of them. You, you speak of them. You look forward to when you will be with that person you love. You begin to even love some of the things that they love. And what bothers them begins to bother you. You want to please those you Love And if that's you and, and, and the Lord, do you, do you want to spend time with him? Do you think of him? Do you, do you speak of him? Do you want to hear from him? Do, do you look forward to being with him? Do you want to please him? And, and if you do, you say, well, not perfectly, but purposefully. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting more and more to pursue this God because I, I love him and, and I want to love him more. Oh, for grace to love you more. If that's your heart, verse 28 is a promise for you. But this is not a promise to everyone all over the place that everything is going to go great. This is only for believers in a love relationship with God. But we've got to then ask the question, well, well, what does good mean for believers? What does good mean? Because it says, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for Good. This is one of those words, like Pastor Corey talked about, love, how we might use the word love today. I mean, we use the word good in all kinds of ways. We talk about someone who might be good-looking, or just in casual conversation, maybe today you said, how are you doing? And someone said, good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Or we talk about, maybe you said good morning to someone you saw today. Or maybe there's a tension with someone, you, and you want to ask them, are, are, are we good or maybe you say, hey, it's all good. We, we, we say that. Or, or good job. Or have a good day. And those are all good and, and, and appropriate things to say if, if we understand what that word means. But we also need to think about, what about evil? What about bad people? What about a drunk driver? What about abuse? What about things in your past that aren't good by any stretch of the word? Maybe bad memories, things that trouble you to this day. Or, or what, about, what about war that, that we see around the world? We see it on the news, and let's also be reminded it's happening in places we're not seeing on the news as well. Is God good when, when people die tragically, or when a spouse or a loved one dies, which has affected many in this room in the last year. And I want to come back to those questions, but we need to, we need to be thinking about good the way God does. So look with me at Romans 12, because Romans 12 is actually going to use this word good again and talk about the way we think, the way the world thinks, the way we need to think. Romans 12, verse 2 do not be conformed to this world. And in that context, that can mean the way the world thinks or speaks. But be transformed 
by the renewal of our mind or your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good. And, and so we need renewed minds. We need transformed thinking, not just the way the world does, so that we can even discern what is good and what is part of God's will, what is pleasing to him, to his perfect will. <clears throat> and it's important to notice also Romans eight twenty eight doesn't say all things are good. In fact, for seven chapters before Romans 8, he's been talking about how things are not good, that there is no one good, no not one. There is sin, there is evil in the world. The Romans 1 through 3 is talking about that. But what's amazing as we come to Romans 8 is God can take all those things and work them together for good, for saved sinners. But there are many things that are not good. There's horrible and terrible things that people in this room have gone through. And so we need to be even careful in the way we articulate these things and God's sovereignty because God is working all things together for good. But, but that recognizes that things are not all good. He, God works in a way in all those things for good. But good is not some Christians, some churches would be preaching this day that good is is health and wealth and prosperity. That's not the kind of good. It's not your best life now kind of good or, or things just going well and being successful in a, in a material way. This is not that kind of good. As the world would define it, even some would try to define it within evangelicalism. God's word defines good. And God must define good because God is the source of all good. And so we think of other statements on how God is good. Romans 8.28 is, is maybe one of the most famous verses on God's goodness, but maybe up there with that would be the end of Psalm 23. Surely, what? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's a sweet truth. God's goodness and mercy are actually pursuing us. They're following us all the time, all the days of our life. Another psalm, actually it was read earlier, says, Taste and see the Lord is, what? That he's good. There was about seven other times in that reading there where it talks about he doesn't withhold good for those who fear him. Every good thing he gives to those who fear him. The things that we need. Ten times the scripture command us to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That's a repeated refrain. It was part of a whole bunch of different songs that Israel would sing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And from page one of the Bible, this is a theme. God is creating this world. And the attribute it highlights as God's doing that is God made this and God saw that it was good. And then on the second day, the third day, and it goes through the days, each thing that he made God saw that it was good. Ten times in the first chapter of the Bible, God sees what he does, and it is good. But even before the creation of the Bible, there's other verses that talk about how God had a good purpose and a plan for the world because the, the, he knew Adam was going to sin, and it was all part of his plan. When Adam would sin, he would eat of the tree, and God told them that when that happens, you will now have the knowledge of Good and evil. It was only good before, but now good and evil 
they would know, and then there's trouble in paradise now. And you keep reading through Genesis, and pretty soon they're raising Cain. And that didn't go so good with his brother Abel. And then Genesis 6 says God looks down, verse 5, he looks at all of the world that he has made, and he sees the heart of man that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. That's the total depravity we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that we're infected in all, even the thoughts that we think we're infected with evil. And so we go through Genesis, and even the good guys in Genesis are not so good. <laughs> Lying about their wives, uh, scheming with favorites and trying to get blessing and, and just the deception going through. And, and we're just talking with the good guys in Genesis so we get through Genesis, and we clearly need goodness from another source. And when the Exodus happens, when the Israelites come out of Egypt, and Moses, I've been reading this in my, my scripture reading this year, Moses, is he wants to see God's glory, and he's up on the mountain, and, and here's how he reveals himself. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, here's one of his phrases about himself. He is abundant in goodness. So when Moses says, show me your glory, God actually says, I can't show you my full glory. No one can see that and live, but I'll I'll cover you so I can pass by. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And in some sense, God's goodness is what we can see of his glory and still live. His goodness and glory go together. But ultimately, Jesus is the one who shows us the goodness of God. He comes and it says he was doing good He went about doing good, and every good thing, James says, is from the Father. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. When Paul lists the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces, goodness is one of those things. And so, dictionary biblical imagery says, Goodness in the Bible is God himself. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are good, do good, and create good. God's people are not good in themselves, but they become capable of doing good through the empowerment of God's Spirit and the presence of God in their lives through Jesus Christ. So when Romans 3 says, no one is good, no, not one, that actually changes when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, when His goodness leads us to repentance and regeneration, then we are now called to do good works. We're not saved by good works, but He has prepared beforehand good works, as Ephesians 2 says. We're saved to do good works. And in verse 26 and 27 of Romans 8, he talks about the help of the Holy Spirit right before verse 28. We need his help in our weakness. So what does the good in verse 28 mean? I think it's, it's good to keep reading to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And he was going to have a preeminent place among many, many brothers, adopted brothers. The the, the word foreknew means that he loved them beforehand. Like, Like Ephesians 1 says, in love he predestined us. And he has this plan beforehand. His plan is not only to predestine us to adoption, but actually for us to look like our adopted brother. Jesus, that we're adopted into his family, but we also, as we come into that family, that we don't look like naturally, he is making us 
look like Jesus, the one who has the place, the preeminent place of the firstborn. There's a family resemblance that comes along with this adoption. We actually begin to look like Jesus, who we're not related to by nature. And so this good here, if you look at the text, is conformity to Christ's likeness. That's the the goal ultimately. All things that include circumstances and sufferings that God uses like tools to chisel away whatever is not conformed to the image of Christ. Things work together for good. We can can think of good as the opposite of, of evil. But also ultimately we need to think of this ultimate goal. Things work together for good if they are making us more like Christ. Good is what draws us to the Lord, because He's our greatest good. He's our treasure. And we could also say whatever grows our relationship with God through His Spirit, those are part of what God is working together for good. We can consider the who, the what, but why. Why do all things work for good? Some of your translations might have a footnote On verse 28, it says something like this. Some manuscripts have God works all things together for good or God works in all things for the good. I think the New American Standard says God causes all things to work together for good. And whatever translation you have, verse 28 is is clearly talking about the calling and the purpose of God in all things because notice the end of the verse says it's those who are called according to His purpose. That's, that's His purpose in, in these things and in our salvation ultimately. If you look at verse 30, the called are mentioned again. And they're the same ones who are predestined. This is a, a sovereign call of God. Look at verse 30 and, and notice the, the pronouns. Those whom He predestined, he also called. There's that word called. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's when we're saved, declared righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is the subject. We're the object. Six times in one verse. It couldn't be any more emphatic. He is the the one who is doing this action. And it starts in eternity past and it goes all the way to glory. And then in verse 29, four times it's he or it's his. And so we've got ten times in two verses it's emphasized in the language. It is all he. It's not we, what we did together. We respond, but it's he who did this. It's all of God, and he's working in all things, including the things that involve the will of man. That's how we can know that all things in the world, which include the the will and the choices of of sinners, all those things he can be working together because he is sovereign over all things from beginning to end. He is has a plan, he has a purpose, he is predestinating and he is orchestrating all things. And it's a wonderful thing when we can sometimes see how God is working in all things. Just this last Thursday I did the Graveside for Valerie Petrish, who had been in our church for a number of years, had been homebound in more recent years. And they called and they said they didn't, the, the family was mostly unbelievers and there wasn't anything they wanted to do at the church. They said, We're going to do a, a graveside down in Southern California. 
Um, and I just let them know if there's anything we can do, just, just let me know. And they, they called and they, they reached out. And, and at first I didn't realize exactly where it was going to be. I didn't listen closely to the, to the message. But what ended up is while we were down in Southern California, the graveside was, was actually going to be about 20 minutes away from where we were. And so I, I called and reached out to them. So I'd, I'd love to be there and serve the family in that way. And they were, they were really glad to have me there. We got there, and I realized this is the neighborhood where Jamie and I used to live right, right near there when we first got married. And the, the high school right across the street, I was talking with some of them, and, and they, they actually attended that high school. They were all from Chatsworth, which is where it was. And I, I met this one lady there, and I was talking with her. She says, Shingle Springs, is that near Diamond Springs? She says, I live near Diamond Springs in, in Lake Oaks. I said, oh, really? My parents live there. She says, Which, who's your parents? I said, Jerry. Late. Oh, she, oh, yeah, Jerry. He's my next-door neighbor. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and just how the Lord orchestrated all that so I could be there, and the family member introduced me. This is Valerie's pastor from 400 miles away, and he's able to, to be here. And so I was able to share the gospel with about 40 unbelievers there. And just how the Lord orchestrates all those types of things. We could all tell stories about how God is, is working in all things, but we want to keep praying for that family as we want to keep ministering to them the gospel. But God is working in all things. We don't believe in coincidence or accidents. God is working in all things. And maybe you've heard the story of a, a cowboy who applied for insurance and the agent was asking him, have you had any accidents? And the cowboy said, well, no, but I did, a Bronco did buck me off one time and, you know, kicked me in the ribs and broke a few ribs. And then I got bit by a rattlesnake. And the agent says, wouldn't you call those accidents? And he said, no, no, they did that on purpose. <laughs> and, and, and there's a real sense in which everything that happens God has a purpose in it. And listen, even when people do something that hurts you on purpose, God is working in those things for good. Notice verse 28 ends with this truth, that it is all according to his purpose. Sometimes we say, well, that was random. But there's nothing random to God. Part of Ephesians 1 says, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And it says, we are predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will to the praise of his glory. So all things he's working according to his will, and it's all to the praise of his glory. Even when there's a mystery in that will, as Paul uses that language his purpose is good. It's according to his good pleasure that he works all things based on his will. But part of the mystery is this needs to be revealed to us. And what Romans eight twenty eight reveals is not that all things will work together in the end, in the future, but even right now, there's, in, the, in the present tense, all things are currently and continually working for good of those called according to his purpose. So don't just think way in the end, maybe these things will come together. God's working right now, even though we may not see it right now. He is working right now, even through the difficult things you've gone through or are going through. Think of what Israel went through in the Exodus. And I've been struck by this afresh reading 
reading this. Deuteronomy 8 says to Israel, recapping that, God brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water. Think about the things we complain about. How about having fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground and no water and you think you're going to die? It says God did this that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Those are things we wouldn't define as good. But there were things that God was working his good purpose for them as they were humbled, as they were tested, as they were refined, as they were more conformed to him. All those things they went through, the hard and humbling testings, were to do them good. You say, well, what about us? And this takes us to number four. How should this impact us? We'll keep reading Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? What's the implication? What's the, the application in how we're to speak and think? What, what are we supposed to say in light of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I think a lot of us know that verse, but read it in this context here. If God is for us, for our good in all things, and, and we know that because of what he's done in our life and in all those things in verse 28 and 29 and, and 30, if he's working for our good, he's for us, for our good in all things, even the evil things that people do against us, then no one and nothing can ultimately come against us. No one and nothing can successfully, ultimately come against us because God is with us and he is for us and greater is he who is in you than he who is in this sinful world. We need to say these things. We need to say these things to others. What shall we say to these things? This is what we need to say, but we need to also say it to ourselves. We need to preach to ourselves that he is in charge and we are not. He is good, and we are not by nature, but he is for us, working for our good, and will help us to do the good things that he has called us to. So we need to remember who is in control. And it's not us. Who is in control and that he is compassionate, and that he is working all things for good. And so think of a a criticism. Think of a conflict. Think of a coworker that maybe you're dreading interacting with this week. Maybe you can think of chronic pain. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's some other thing that's heavy on your heart. How are we to think about these things? I mentioned Israel in the Exodus, but turn to Genesis 50 before it. Because it's the story of Joseph that I think really Paul might have been thinking about this when he says, and we know. He might have been thinking of this very story of Joseph. If you know, there was a lot in his life that was not good. Brothers threw him in a pit, left him for dead. Then they wanted to make money out of it. They pulled him up, sold him as a slave. And while he's in Egypt, he's falsely accused. He's imprisoned for years. But God later worked in his life to free him, and he became... Egypt's leader, but his brothers, Genesis 50, verse 15, when they saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. 
So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The idea of the Hebrew is he spoke to their heart. God's sovereign goodness is a comfort to hearts. Not just to Joseph's heart, but to these brothers who have sinned and done evil. Because God is in control, and God is good. And notice Joseph doesn't say, that that wasn't evil. He says, you meant evil, but God. We need to remember that, but God. Because if we do, this doctrine of God's sovereign goodness can help us to forgive and to not fear and to trust God's provision for us, to trust God's providence in all things. Maybe sometimes you see this evil world and you're just troubled by what you see in this world and maybe you're thinking about your little ones. Maybe you're thinking about your grandkids and this world, all the evil that's unfolding and things you wish you didn't have to talk about or that they didn't have to experience. And, and maybe you fear, but we're not to fear because God is at work for good in all those things. And verse 20 says in one version, You intended to harm me, but God intended it. You meant evil, but God meant it. For good, the it is the evil. God meant that evil for good. Not just God is going to try to do something to maybe use that. No, God actually meant that. He had a purpose in it. Even though he's not the author of, of sin, God is never caught off guard by it. It's, it's never outside of his sovereign will and ability to work together and to intend for good. God actually intends good, even in those things that are not good. That's how big our God is. And Joseph didn't just chalk it up to fate or free will. He trusted God's will. And he was freed from bitterness and resentment to be able to see God's purpose in it. And so if you go back to Romans 8, I I just really believe that's part of what the original Bible readers would know And part of the original background when Paul says, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good because they'd seen that in Israel. They had seen that in Joseph. How did they know? Because the Bible tells me so. And even evil 
God works together for good. But I think the ultimate way that we know this is through the ultimate evil that's ever been done on this planet. And that is when Jesus was murdered. But here's God's perspective. Romans 8, 32. Next verse. He who did not, this is the Father, spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all thanks? God actually so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son up to this horrible death. And so we know, we ultimately know God's goodness is at work in all things. And his graciousness will give us all things that we need because he is over all things. And we can trust that he will give us all things that we need. Behold the goodness of God. Behold the goodness of God in the gospel of God giving his own son, the only truly good person who ever lived. Someone asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, why do you ask me about what's good? Only God is good. But but there is someone who lived a good and perfect life by God's definition all the time. And and Romans will talk about maybe for a good person, someone might dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us. And this, while we were still sinners, in other words, we weren't good people, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So consider the goodness of God. The only truly person who ever lived was not spared evil and was not spared death that he did not deserve. He was murdered. But those men, what they meant for evil, God meant that for good to save Many lives. This is what Peter says in Acts 2 as he stands up on the day of Pentecost. He says, This man, Jesus, was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And he says, You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men. You put him to death. What you did, that was evil. But he says, But God. But God raised him up again and and put an end to the agony of death. That's God working all things together for good. Even the evil that they did. And here's how the early church prayed in Acts 4, 27. They they pray this to God. They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Listen, and they were gathered to do what your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. And then in light of that truth, it says they prayed and the place where they gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Listen, the ultimate example of God working all things together for good is is in his own son and his horrible, evil death on the cross, which brings about the greatest good, the eternal good of all those that he is drawing to himself and then making us more like Christ. And if you believe God's sovereign goodness over evil and, and all things, that gives confidence. That gives comfort, but it also gives confidence, and it should give us boldness to speak this gospel And to know that even when men are at their worst, God is at his best. Saving sinners and making sinners more conformed to Christ's likeness. God can do that in Ukraine. 
and the Democratic Republic of Congo and all those other countries you heard about. We need to pray for God's purpose to prevail and for people to be saved and to be drawn into his kingdom and and for those who are saved to be more like Christ, to be strengthened. We need to pray more for that. But we need to also, in our opportunities here in this country, we need to speak of this gospel, speak of this God and, and be bold and to let them know they can't be comfortable and casual around God as sinners. God is not safe, but he is good for those who trust in him. Even though he's holy and sin is an offense against his law and his standard of of goodness, even though God created a world that was very good because of sin, it is now very bad. And if you don't love God, we need to tell people all things will work badly for you in the end unless you turn from your sin and unless you trust the good news Romans calls it the good news, using the same word, the good news. And the good news is that Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep, for your evil. Even though we're not a good person and we can't be saved by good works, the goodness of God can lead you to repentance. It can lead you to repentance today. God's goodness that you're hearing about right now can lead you to turn from your sins and to trust him. Titus 3 says it was when the goodness of God our Savior appeared in his loving kindness. He saved us not because of works done by us, but then he goes on to say, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. The goodness of God our Savior should motivate us to good works and to help urgent needs. So as we give to meet needs, whether here or around the world, that are urgent or other good causes that we give to. That's part of how we're to be moved. Next week, we're going to hear from one of our missionaries in the Philippines. Alan Luciano will be with us. And that's part of one of the good things Romans 10 talks about. It's it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing when, when people are sent to bring, to preach the good news. And so we'll hear another one of our servants next week. But just some other texts in Romans that talk about Applications of goodness, Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the challenge for us. It's, it can be overwhelming seeing evil in our world or sometimes even seeing in our own heart, doubting God's goodness, but he has overcome evil with good. We are called to overcome that evil with good. Romans 15, 2, you can jot these down. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It's another way we're to live out God's goodness, build up others for their good. In Romans 15, 14, Paul says, you're full of goodness and you're able to instruct or to counsel one another. The more God's goodness we know from his word, the more we can instruct and help and encourage one another. But what shall we say to these things? God is for us, for our good. We should say and we should sing And we're going to sing, Father, you are sovereign in all affairs of man. There's no powers of death or darkness that can thwart your perfect plan. All evil overruling as none but a conqueror could. Your love pursues its purpose. Our soul's eternal good. We aren't victims of a world out of control. We are victors through God who is in control of all things for your good. That's how this chapter ends. He wants us to know what happens to you does not control you and doesn't conquer you. Romans eight thirty seven. no, 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is good. And I want to just close with an example of how God can be good even in the loss of a loved one. And I have permission from Louise to share this. How God has been good to her in the loss of her spouse 11 months ago. I have leaned heavily on God Almighty. Just knowing He is with me all the time is such a big help knowing he has the best plan. No matter what it looks like to me, that gives me comfort. Knowing that if I really trust him, I don't have to know why. I miss Dell so much. Every time I turn around, he is supposed to be there, and he isn't. But God is. I just have to remind myself of the good and not what I don't have. The most comforting thing people say to me is that they are praying for me. She talked about how also encouraging it is when people call her, reach out to her. God has been too good to me for me to concentrate too much on sadness. I have so much to thank him for, for how he's continued to provide through Bob and Dell and she goes through, says, then I'm not concentrating on what I don't have. My thank you list is a whole page long in my prayer journal. And I have a page filled with names of people that God has healed in our church. Of cancer, 12 in our church family. I have much to thank God for. He often provides little things that are not necessary but nice. When that happens, I know just who to thank. Louise, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Do you give thanks to God because he's good? We're commanded to. And if you don't, that's, that's a sin. If, it's, if your pattern is you just give complaints rather than thanks, that's actually something that is sinful, that we need God's goodness to lead us to repentance, if that's the case, to give thanks to him more and more. For he is good. Behold the goodness of of God. Christ is our trust, and he is our treasure. He is sovereign, and he is good. He's the king. Let's pray. Our great and gracious and good God, we thank you for your good word. We thank you for your good book in the ultimate sense of the good Lord and what he has done for us. Help us to be those who give thanks for you are good and to be moved to do good works and to share the good news. For the glory of Christ, we pray.